to talk about uh, this today, this ministry today, and also from the Word of God, how how this whole thing's going to come together. It's a really powerful presentation in in, uh, in in message, and so I'm really looking forward to it. Let's do this. If you need a worship guide, would you raise your hand? I want to encourage you to take notes today. So keep your hands up, and we'll get you one, and the balcony as well. And uh, great, great, great. Make sure to get one of these. This is uh, a tremendous way to have a resource for you in your small groups this week uh, as you continue this discussion. And this is just the beginning of great things. Our guest speaker today has become a great, great friend. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know him. And God used uh, one of our elders, Doug Gully, uh, to connect he and I t- together. And uh, the Lord is just nurturing our friendship, our families, our wives uh, getting to know each other. And I'm looking forward to a, a long fruitful relationship and uh, for the kingdom's sake. I can't wait. So Lance, you come, give him a warm gospel light welcome. Let's see here. Let me give you this one here. Perfect. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, Pastor. What an awesome blessing to be with you all at Gospel Light this morning. I have, I have, uh, this church is quickly becoming favorite church. I love these people. Wow. wow. I, I loved the opportunity to hang out uh, after the first service and meet several people that, that have some incredible, compassionate hearts. Um, so God has connected your pastor and myself, our families. Um, it's been a blessing to get to know them. And I just want you to know, Brother Eric, you, you are an inspiration to me. I, I'm, I'm really inspired by your leadership. Not only is Gospel Light blessed to have your pastor, but our community is blessed to have his visionary leadership and, and compassionate heart. What a blessing. Um, it's an honor, especially, to, to deliver part two of your two-part series on pure religion. I got to be here last week and to hear that presentation, and you just did a masterful job setting the stage for what compassionate ministry is supposed to look like and talking about the fatherless. Where is Jordan. See, back there. Man, you knocked it out of the park with that song, friend. Wow, what an incredible, incredible song that really encapsulates the heart of what it means to be adopted into God's family. Um, I come to you today from Compact Family Services. Many of you in the room may be better familiar with the name of our campus here in town. Hillcrest Children's Home. How many of you have heard of Hillcrest Children's Home? You familiar? Oh my goodness, just about everybody. Good. Hillcrest Children's Home uh, serves and has served since 1944 uh, foster children on our campus right here in Hot Springs. Started originally by by a, a woman who, during World War II, really had a heart to start an orphanage. Wanted to go to China and do missions work over there, starting an orphanage. But because World War II was going on, she was not able to do that. But God had other plans, and she began what is now Hillcrest Children's Home on our campus right there. Um, And we have been for years, for decades, crafting and developing and honing the skills necessary to minister to vulnerable children, to the broken, the fatherless. And we have been uh, deeply entrenched in that ministry since the 40s. Let me give you just a real brief introduction of myself, and then we'll get into the full presentation here this morning. Uh, my wife and I, my, my wife and my son are, are, are right back over here on my left, your right. 
Um, my wife and I have served for a number of years uh, in local church ministry. That's our context. That's our, our history. Um, we served as pastors in Oklahoma for basically most of our adult lives until about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Uh, we came here to Hot Springs just to tour and get a, a, a view of what's going on on the campus of Hillcrest Children's Home. The reason why that was so important to us is because that is the agency that my wife was originally fostered out of and adopted out of many years ago. So she herself is a fostered child that became an adoptive child by the family that fostered her. And uh, the Hillcrest was the origins of that for us. So we just came to check it out. In fact, our church was supporting and serving that ministry in, in other ways, but we had never seen it. So we drove over here from Oklahoma, checked it out, and man, God began to work on our hearts, and we felt his call to come and to serve the campus here. My wife's a registered nurse, and she serves all of the health needs of our campus. She's the health services coordinator for that entire campus, so she ministers to each one of the kids, scratch and patch and boo-boos and all that kind of stuff. So she's got her hands full for sure. So you might be wondering, what's the difference between Hillcrest Children's Home and Compact Family Services? They're one and the same, but Hillcrest identifies what we do on that campus, and Compact is more of an umbrella name that we adopted a few years ago. It stands for Compassionate Action, and it better describes the things that we're trying to do nationwide, helping churches and empowering churches to do a, a supportive foster care ministry in their local congregations. That can happen anywhere. We've been training churches to do that now from about almost a dozen different states. We've been able to train key leaders in those states to do foster care ministry right where they are. So here's what happened. We've been serving foster children on our campus, and it really, truly is, a, is an amazing ministry. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to tour our campus or to come see what we do, but uh, that 52-acre that campus is really a work of God's grace. What we do every day, day in and day out, is we minister in a group home setting. We have tw uh, 10 cottages around our campus that all function like independent homes. We have house parents that live with those kids uh, day in and day out. They have their own private residence that's connected to the cottage, and they're able to minister one-on-one -on -one with these kids every day, full-time parents which, by the way, we are in the market for a couple of sets of house parents right now. We, we have a couple of cottages we could be opening right now if we had some additional help. So if maybe God's calling you to serve as a full-time house parent on our campus, I'm sure we'd love to talk to you about that. Just need you to love the Lord and need you to love kids, and we can train you just about everything else. But we've been serving, we've been serving in that capacity and doing everything we can to expand our ability to serve and to minister to foster kids to the point now that we have more than doubled our capacity over the last several years. If we're completely full, every bed on our campus is full, uh, we can serve up to 80 children on our campus at any given time. And we give thanks to God for that, because that's, that's significant. That's certainly not insignificant. We're, we're ministering to as many kids as we can possibly minister to. However, about five years ago, we began to come to grips with the reality of the foster care crisis and the reality that we are never going to be able to expand our ministry and our programs enough to fully meet the need. Right now, nationwide, there are over 400,000 kids today in the foster care system. And even in Arkansas, there are over 5,000 kids in the foster care system. 
And on our campus, like I said, we can serve up to 80 children. That, that seems like a lot until you compare it to the enormity of the need. Even in Garland County, there are 131 children in foster care. We wouldn't be able to minister just to the kids that are from Hot Springs on our campus if every bed was full. And so the need is greater than we're able to provide with the resources we have on our campus. And the Lord began to birth a dream in us that we began to take everything we've learned about foster care and we put it in the form that could be exported to the local church. And we then, instead, we, we turn our attention, not away from what we're doing, there's always going to be a need for what we're doing, but we turn our attention and our focus to finding ways to partner with churches like Gospel Light that have a heart for, for the broken people and a, and a compassionate mindset. And we partner with those churches and we give them the skills that we've learned over the years in working with foster kids. So we developed a ministry, and that's what the brochure in your bulletin is all about, that we call CompaCare, based on our compact name. And that ministry is a wraparound support ministry that churches can do when foster families step up in a local church and say, I want to be a part of the solution we train the church how to come around them in a way that can be very supportive and encouraging to that family to make them successful. That's what our vision is. That's where our heart is. So we took that model of ministry once it was published about six months ago when it, when it came off the press, and, and uh, we had already been working on it for a couple of years, so we'd had some earlier revisions, and we started a, a, a series of conversations with the state of Arkansas. DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services. And we took this model of ministry and we showed it to the state director of foster care. And we said, what would it look like if we engaged the church and, and began to offer a full spectrum of foster care services out of our campus? And through a series of back and forth conversations with the state, July the 1st, they issued us the first ever contract with a faith-based Christ-centered agency to do foster care turnkey. Now, what does that mean for, for the average person? How do, how do we explain that? What that essentially means is that for the first time in the history of our state, if a person wanted to be a foster family, a, a, a Bible-believing Christian family wanted to become a foster family, you don't ever have to pick up the phone and call the state for that. You can actually call a Christ-centered agency like us, and come and talk to us. We not only get you the training you need, we not only take you through the home study process, license your home for kids, but we can even place children in your home and give you the ongoing support. We provide turnkey services for foster families. And that, I can't even begin to explain to you how groundbreaking that is for the state of Arkansas. It's never happened before. And so we give thanks to God for that. God has opened that door, truly opened that door for us. And at the same time, we, we, begin, to begin, we begin praying about how God would open those doors for us. What we essentially did was we, we, we wrote a check in hopes that the local church would cash it. What we did is we went to the state and we said, we believe that the church will be the answer and the solution of the foster care crisis in Arkansas. And then they said, okay, put your money where your mouth is. And, and, and they gave us that contract. And now it became our task to begin to connect with churches and help churches know that this is an option and an availability for them and right here in Garland County, God then began to connect us with some very key individuals and some key churches. Brother Doug Goley came into our lives, and he's one of your elders here. And uh, he, he came to talk to us about Teen Revolution to see how that our kids could participate in that. And while he was there talking with us about that, 
the conversation turned to what was happening in foster care right now. And the Lord began to deal with his heart about helping us to begin to facilitate this in Garland County. And he's kind of provided a, a, a tip of the spear, if you will, for us getting into to visit with pastors and churches all over our community. Right now, we've we've this is the third church that we've been able to fully launch the CompuCare ministry in in Hot Springs. And there are about six others that are on the waiting list to, to be doing this. So as a church in this community, all of the churches are coming together in a beautiful way that only God could do. Only God can do. I mean, we've, we've, had great, uh, we've had great receptivity from everyone from the Catholic Church to several Baptist churches to even a, even a, a Church of Christ wants to partner with us. And so we, we have seen God really begin to open some doors. And God's begin to show us a vision of what this can look like when we begin to solve the community's problem in a way that Christ would have us to do as the body of Christ coming together. Extremely exciting. And I'm very, very blessed to be a part of it. So my mission this morning and my task is to show you from Scripture the way that I believe God would have us to attack the crisis that is becoming the foster care issue. And in Luke, the 10th chapter, I want us to look together at a familiar story that I know many of you have heard and are, are, are very comfortable with and could probably recite it. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, we read about a man that came to Jesus, a lawyer, a student of the law, a teacher of the law, that came to Jesus because he had one burning question on his mind. And the question was, what are your expectations of me in order for me to make it to heaven? What must I do, he said, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded to him, what do you see written in the law? You're an expert in the law. What, what do you see in verse 26? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Can you help me understand this, Jesus? Surely you don't expect me to love everybody. Surely there are limits to the number of people or the type of people or the quality of people that you would ask for me to get involved in their lives and extend love to them. It can't possibly be everybody. So who is my neighbor? And in a masterful way that only Jesus could do, he spins this story, this parable, to describe exactly what it looks like when we love our neighbor. And that's what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what I, what I found in studying and reading this passage is that it tells us everything we need to know to love and serve vulnerable children and families, the broken among us. In fact, it's a playbook. That all you got to do is go verse by verse through this story and you've got the playbook of exactly what it looks like to reach out to, minister to, and love the broken and vulnerable in our community. So, I want us to look at it one piece at a time together for our next few minutes that we have. Beginning in, in, in uh, verse 30, Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
I mean, that was a bad day. Man on the road was came into the presence of some robbers. The robbers beat him up, left him for dead in the ditch. And by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Loving your neighbor, friends, means seeing their need. That's the first blank, and you're filling the blank this morning. Loving your neighbor means seeing their need. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we, we start, the curtain opens with a man who comes under hard times and finds himself desperately in need of some attention, lying in a ditch, left for dead. The Bible says, half dead. So there he was. And it just so happens that a priest and then a Levite both passed by on that road. Not a massive four-lane road, not a hundred-foot-wide highway, but just a narrow road made for walking. Comes upon this man who was in the ditch. And the Bible hints at us that the man, that, that, that both of these, the priest and the Levite, both saw the man in the ditch, but chose to take a sidestep to the other side of the road and to continue their journey. How in the world you could miss a guy lying in the ditch, practically having to step over him as you pass by, is beyond me. But I do have at least a little bit of a frame of reference to understand how that could work that I think maybe some of you might connect with. How many of you have ever come off the on-ramp or off the off-ramp, off the bypass, and seen somebody standing and holding a cardboard sign? Anybody ever seen that? Okay. Pretty familiar experience with us here in Hot Springs. There are certain, there are certain intersections that you regularly see people holding cardboard signs. They usually say something like, disabled vet, anything can help, stranded traveler, please help, those kinds of things. You know what I've learned by, just by watching people and maybe even done this once or twice? When you come off that exit ramp and you catch a glimpse of that guy, all of a sudden, a distracted driver that is often looking around, looking at his phone, playing with his radio, all of a sudden, he becomes the most, the most vigilant, laser-focused driver on the planet, looking straight ahead. Because if you cut your eyes to the left and you, you lock eyes with this guy that's holding the cardboard sign, what happens now? Now you're obligated. Now you've got to do something. Or at least smile or, 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 or acknowledge the fact that the guy's there with this deep pressing need. And so all of a sudden we become very, very focused drivers. So the priest and the Levite, this is what they do. They're passing by. There's a guy in the ditch and he's desperately in need of help. It doesn't take... It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't take a medical doctor to figure out that this guy is really in bad shape, half dead. But rather than look at him and acknowledge the fact that there's a need in front of them, they choose to pass by on the other side of the road because if they ignore the problem, they're not responsible for the problem. Right? Until the third person passes by. And Jesus chooses intentionally a Samaritan for this. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But he chooses someone that's not even of that man's kind. And he sees the need. And the Bible says, rather than choose to go to the other side of the road and pass by, this man engages the need and acknowledges the fact 
that I'm here for a reason. And I know that there's something in that ditch that I can help with. Loving your neighbor means seeing the need. Today, I feel that it is my, my God-given responsibility to make us aware of a very real and pressing need that we've come face-to-face with as a culture, as a nation, as a church. And that is ultimately the big need we want to talk about here this morning is the fact that families are falling apart. That really, I'm here to talk about foster care, but eventually you've got to come to grips with the fact that families are really suffering. That we're seeing the family disintegrate in in our culture and in our nation at a rate we've never seen before. Matter of fact, the numbers are, are terrifying. Nearly half of all children, according to the U.S. Census, nearly half of all children are now born into single-parent homes. Just to give you some perspective on that, just a short time ago in 1960, that number was 4%. And that's where it had set since the nation began, as long as we've been keeping record of any of those kinds of things. But from 1960 to 2010, that number had increased to 42%, and it now looks for all the world like when the new census comes out in two years, that for the first time in the nation's history, a majority of all babies are being born into single-parent families. So families are struggling. Families are suffering. There are a lot of drivers for that. There are a lot of reasons, and we don't have time this morning to go into all of those. But I do understand that there are things that happen in families that we, you know, sometimes... We're powerless. We don't have any control over it. And I'm not here this morning to, it's not my job or my responsibility to rail on, on marriages or, 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 or divorce or, or the meltdown of the family. Those are, that's not my task. But I do want to draw your attention to the fact that because of the reality of what's happening in our families, it, it, it changes the way we as a church have to look at discipleship, ministry. How do you teach somebody about the good, good father when they don't have any frame of reference for a father at all? How do you help somebody to understand God the way Jesus taught him? He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And I could take you to a lot of kiddos on our campus that when, they, when you teach them to pray that way, they don't have a grasp of what you're talking about. It changes the way we approach discipleship. It's a challenge that the church must focus on, must understand. Children are the casualties of the decline of the family. Children are the ones who are the real victims in this. The kids who end up in the foster care system, those who end up bouncing from place to place, they're there for no fault of their own. They're voiceless, they're powerless, and they need somebody to empower them and give them a voice. In Arkansas, there are over 5,000 children in foster care. 1,500 of those children do not have a place to go. Now, I think it's important that I help you understand this morning, before we go any farther, for those of you that may not fully understand the foster care system, you may not fully understand the complexities and, and, and what that means when we talk about foster children, let me just explain it to you this way. Children come into care, and that's the term we use when we talk about a kid going into foster care. Children come into care for three basic reasons. One, they've been abused by someone that was supposed to be caring for them. 
Number two, they were neglected. A lot of children come into care because they miss so much school, educational neglect, that somebody at school finally calls and says, can you check on the health of this kid? And they find out there's problems. And then the third reason is abandonment. So there are some families that just abandon their children for whatever reason. And so those are the three main reasons that kids come into the foster care system. But once a child comes into the foster care system, that doesn't necessarily mean that that child needs to be adopted today. Sometimes he just needs some time so his mom and dad can get things figured out, can make the adjustment and the change they need to make. Now, there are times that that is not possible, and that child then has his parental rights terminated, and now that child is available for adoption. And that child also would be in the foster care system. But it can encompass all of those things. So in, in Garland County alone, there are 131 children that are in foster care right now. But the problem is those kids are not all in Garland County. Those kids come from Garland County, but there are only 19 available homes in this entire county for foster kids. That's not very many homes when you're talking about 131 kids that need a place to be but only 19 places for them to be in this community. And the majority of those are, are homes that have opened specifically for a child. Like, say, if someone in your family was in need of foster care and you stepped up and said, I'll open as a foster home. So there are a lot of children that are in the system that are just lost. One of the number one questions people ask me when I tell them there aren't enough homes for the kids that are in foster care, they say, well, where are these kids then? If there's not enough homes for them, where are they? Well, there are a couple of places that they could be today, and I just want to—I just want to warn you when I tell you this, it, it's not good. None of them are good. None of them are healthy for these children. One of the places you might find a child is in a a shelter. We have uh, 19 or so shelters scattered around the state of Arkansas that are essentially temporary holding places for kids. You might picture it like this: a big open room full of bunk beds that kids are sleeping on, just waiting. It's almost like it, it, it's. It's, it's tragic the way we treat our children, but it's because there are not enough homes for them to be in. And so they're meant to go there for a day or two while, while a, a home is opened up, but many of them end up languishing there in the foster care system in these shelters for long periods of time. Sometimes for their entire time in foster care, they stay in a shelter. Others might be in a, uh, uh, a, a, a mental health hospital. Okay, because the state has these beds available to them and they can take a kid and put them in a psychiatric hospital. The kid doesn't need those services and it's, I guarantee you, I can assure you, I've been there, not a healthy place for a kid to be, but it's the only bed available to the state. So they stick them in the, one of those hospitals. I know of instances where DHS caseworkers have told me firsthand that they've had kids sleeping on the couch in their offices while they work the phone around the clock trying to find some place for these kids to be. Do you, do you understand what I mean when I say we're at a crisis point? Families are melting down faster than the church is realizing it. And these kids are ending up in care faster than families are stepping up to take them into their homes. So that creates a significant crisis in our community. Loving your neighbor means seeing that. And acknowledging that. When we come into possession of that knowledge, we can only do one of two things. We can either sidestep it to the other side of the road and not make eye contact with that need or with those kids. 
Or we can turn our, our eyes to the need and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do to engage with this crisis? Loving your neighbor not only means seeing the need, but in, in Luke 10, the next thing we see from the Good Samaritan is it means feeling compassion. It says in verse 33, a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. A lot of times, we, we Christians, we like to minimize feelings. We, we don't want to function by feelings because, bless God, we're a people of faith. But sometimes, when I really think about the Lord and when I think about what He's done for me, that moves me on a really deep level. And then I begin to see people differently. When I really think about what Jesus did on the cross of Christ and the sacrifice He took for me and the things we sang about this morning and the worship team led us in, did such an awesome job leading us in singing about the man of sorrows. And what you'll celebrate tonight when you partake in the Lord's Supper. Take, when you internalize that, and that really gets in you, it begins to change the way you feel about stuff. Now all of a sudden, you begin to see people through a lens that God saw you through. And you begin to feel compassion for them. The Good Samaritan, when he passed by and saw this guy lying in a ditch, not only did he see him laying there, but he allowed himself to feel compassion. So what is compassion? Compassion is when I let your pain into my heart. Compassion is when I let someone else's pain into my heart. And I allow myself to empathize with them, to feel what they're feeling, and I allow that then to motivate me to action, to do something to help. And that comes from the over-the-top, extravagant act of compassion that God showed us through Jesus. Some time ago, there was a young man that came to our campus. And I'll never forget the first day I met him. Little bitty thing. Uh, he was smaller than his age. I think he was about 12 years old, but he looked like he could have passed for about nine. Probably malnourished, you know, uh, didn't have proper health care. But he was so shocked. It was the first time he'd ever been in care. And when we met him, this was his story. He said, I have no idea what's going on. He said, I got up this morning and, and, and got myself ready and I got to school. And he said, I was just sitting in my third hour class and the voice came over the intercom that I was supposed to go to the front office. And he said, so I got up and I went to the front office and when I came through the door, there was a guy standing there waiting on me wearing a name badge. And he said, I've never seen him before in my life. And he said, you're coming with me. So I said, okay. I got in the car with him, and when I looked around behind me in the back seat, there were several bags of things that I recognized as my things. This guy had already been to my house and collected all of my belongings and told me that I was going to a new place. Apparently, my, my parents had had some problems. I, I knew that things weren't great at home, but I didn't know how bad they were. And, and, you know, I was just trying to do for myself and get to school every day and take care of myself. But... My parents had come into some really bad trouble and they just came and got me, loaded up all my stuff and they brought me here to Hillcrest. I didn't even know there was a Hillcrest. He said, now I'm in this cottage and they tell me these are my new foster family. I didn't even know what foster care was. See how disempowering this story is? And see how this kid did nothing to deserve any of that? 
But yet the system put him in this position. His, his, his parents that should have been there for him weren't there for him. And now all of a sudden, people are making all these decisions for him and putting him in places without any consultation, not asking him what he wants, not asking him how he feels about it. And I'm telling you, when I sat and listened to his story, I, all I could think about was my own children. What would happen to them? If something happened to me or, or I fell into some kind of ditch. And they came and got him at school, got one of my boys at school and said, load up. I've already been to your house. I've gone through all your belongings. I've got everything you own. You're going somewhere new. You're going to have new people in your life. Wow. The way that I felt there was compassion. Because I was letting his pain and his confusion and his fear into my heart. And I just began to pray under my breath, Lord, what can I do to help ease this young man's fear and concern? And really, there's nothing fully that we can do in that situation except just be there and offer love and offer an ear to listen. Compassion means understanding that, that people have experiences very different than your own. And if it weren't for the grace of God, any one of us could be in that situation. It's only His grace that holds us up, right friends? I mean, any one of us could have been born into a different family or could have made different choices along the way. But thanks be to God that we have the favor and the blessing of God the way that we do so that we can be a blessing to others. Loving your neighbor also means climbing into their ditch with them. Here's what happened to the Good Samaritan. When he saw him and felt compassion, he decided that he couldn't just pass him by. And he couldn't just stand there feeling sorry for the guy. Neither of those were, were good solutions. The only good solution was to interrupt his journey and climb down into the ditch and see what he could do to help the guy. Loving your neighbor means climbing into the ditch. But I need you to understand something. Loving the broken and serving vulnerable, hurting families is a costly venture. It's a costly venture. And I, I, I don't want to um, sugarcoat that and tell you that helping people that are hurting is always easy and rosy because sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's challenging. Ministering to broken children often means putting up with maybe a bad attitude or their hurt coming out in various ways or maybe even distance. Sometimes we try to help somebody and they're working against us. Sometimes we try to love somebody and they don't love us back. Sometimes we try to minister to somebody and they pull away and shut down on us. Am I describing foster children or am I describing the way we are with God? When He pours His love out on us, and we don't always love Him back. When He ministers to us and we shut down and pull away. Or when He's trying to work on our behalf and we're working against what He's trying to do in our lives. So when we minister to the broken, we are never closer to the heart of God than we are in that moment. We never understand more clearly God and His agape love, His self-sacrificing sacrificial love than when we love somebody that we may or may not get anything back from. It's a hard thing in the flesh. But through the work of God's Spirit in us, we're able to do that 
and understand that every act of kindness shown to the broken is recorded in heaven for us. And that He cares for us enough. He's keeping the books. He's keeping the records of every act of kindness. He says when we offer a cup of cold water in His name, that He takes notice. Loving your neighbor means getting into the ditch. Nothing will give us a better understanding of how God feels as He loves us. Also, loving your neighbor, and this is important, this is really what I want to share with you this morning, an important piece of it. That is, loving your neighbor is a community effort for Christians. We were not intended to be lone rangers in God's redemptive work. He doesn't send us out there by ourselves. Even, even missionaries, when they go to a foreign country, we support them. We bless them. We pray for them. We send support, financial support. And if they have a need, we want to know about it. Missionaries to the family are no different. They're meant to be surrounded and supported by the support of their local body, church body. So what happened with the Good Samaritan, when he climbed into the ditch and he began to minister to this man's needs, he took it the next step and he began to access community resources. The Bible says that he took the man to a local innkeeper. And he says to the innkeeper, I'll take responsibility for this man, but I need your help. I'll step up to the plate and do my part, but I can't do it by myself. I need something that you have to offer. And he says to the innkeeper, I'll, I'll, you keep the tab, I'll pay the bill. And we can only assume that the innkeeper then had to do the same thing. Probably had a housekeeping staff that would change the sheets. Had probably had to call in a doctor to bandage the wounds while he was gone. And before it was all said and done, lots of people had their hands in ministering to this broken man. But there was one that took responsibility for it. And said, I'll do it, but I need the help of everybody I can get. So what I'm sharing with you this morning is a type of foster care ministry in the local church that models that pattern. Where a foster family steps up and says, I'll do it. I'll take responsibility. I'll, I'll be the foster family for this kid. But I'm going to need resources. I'm going to need people around me to help. And as God begins to call one person in the church, maybe, maybe God's calling somebody over here to be a foster family this morning, God may be calling somebody over here to do something else to support that foster family. Say, I can do some things. In our wraparound model, we've identified a number of things that foster families need week in and week out. And we've found ways that we can train and support and organize that around the family. So a foster family may take in a kid and then in the first couple of weeks, there are three or four doctor's visits that that kid needs to make. They're already scheduled by the time they come to the foster home. Well, somebody else could say, well, I I can't take a kid into my home, but I can certainly pick him up from school and take him to the doctor and back. And that way the foster family doesn't have to take off work and use up all their vacation in the first couple of weeks of a new placement to take this kid to to the doctor. And somebody else may say, well, there's one thing I can do. I'm maybe a retired school teacher, or maybe I just understand math, and I can tutor a third grader in, in how to do math. Because our statistics tell us in the foster care system that foster children move an average of three times a year. That's three different schools that they might be in in one school year. Imagine how disruptive that can be to their education. They have no, by the time they get moved around that much, they have no clue what's going on in math class. 
Because one teacher was here, another teacher's there, and the teachers don't have time to go back and reteach everything from the first of the year. So educationally, our foster children really, really struggle. And there might be somebody that says, you know what, that's something I can help with. I can help that foster family, help that kid do his homework once a week or something like that. So as somebody's call, as the Lord is calling somebody to be a foster family, at the same time, we believe the Lord may be calling others to say, what do I have in my hands that I can use to support that family to make sure that they're successful? That's what CompaCare is all about. That's what a wraparound support ministry is all about. Additionally, there are some key individuals in, in this church that are already stepping up to the plate. There's a whole team of people led by uh, Marcia and Tony Thomas uh, already set up and ready to go to deploy this ministry in this church. They've already been through our intensive training on our campus. And, and, and they, of course, they already understand the complexities of foster care from their own experience. And they've already been through our training on how to do the wraparound support. And they're ready to go. And there are key players in that model of ministry that stand ready to connect with foster families and offer them prayer support and encouragement and help them find these resources in the church. That's what CompaCare is all about. Fostering children must be done in community in order to be successful. What we've found is that when the church gets involved in this ministry, the success rate for foster families climbs by over 250%. The long-term success rate. Which means foster families keep doing what they feel called to do. The state average is about one-third of foster families are still doing it a year later. The CompaCare average is 92% are still doing it a year after they take their first placement. So I'm not surprised when I find that when the body of Christ acts as the body of Christ, everything's better. Everything works. Go figure. Finally, I want to share this with you. Loving your neighbor means committing to their full restoration. One of the things Jesus, Jesus wanted to make sure he got in this story and that he highlighted was the fact that the good Samaritan did not just do something small to make him feel better about himself. He didn't just send a get well soon card to the guy lying in the ditch. He didn't just shoot him a text, say, hope you get to feel him better. <laughs> what he did do, though, is he committed to see it all the way through, the restoration process all the way through. So he even went to the innkeeper and said, you keep a tab, let me know what it costs. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with this guy. I'm in his corner and I'm, I want to support him all the way through. And Jesus said, that's what real love looks like, is to commit to the well-being of that person that you're loving. I want him to be whole. I want him to be well. So, by participating in foster care ministry, um, by participating in foster care ministry, you are partnering with God to restore a child, a family, and a culture. So let's just be real clear about what foster care ministry is. It's not necessarily about you building your family. This is a message that has gotten really confused lately in the foster care world. Is Some people step into it thinking, well, it's about me growing my family. It can be. And if that's what you want going in, there are ways to accomplish that. Through adoption. Through finding a child who's adoptable. And putting, we can place him in your home or her in your home. That way, that way you, can, you can work towards building your family. And that may very well be the way that you redeem a child, is you take them from 
a very negative experience in their lives and you give, give that child permanency and you give them a new last name and you give them your identity. That's, that's, that's one way, but it's not the only way to redeem children in the foster care system. Sometimes, like I said earlier, mom and dad, are, are, they're given some time to go get things straightened out. And that child has got to have somewhere to go and he's got to find some healing and some wholeness. And so that child could come into your home and you could provide the love and the support and, the, and, and introduce that child to Jesus and help that child understand the love of God. And you support that child until the day when mom and dad get their stuff together and the child's able to go back home. And then we celebrate when that child tells mom and dad, Mom, while I was in my foster parents' house, we went to Gospel Light Baptist Church and it was the coolest experience ever. And I want to go back. And then that whole reunited family walks through the back door of Gospel Light and now they get to be part of the restoration ministry here. How cool is that? that that's a win. That's a win when the church then begins to partner with the whole family. And that's another way that children that we can partner with God to redeem children. And then another way is maybe you're just you're just giving the kid a vision, a picture of what a good solid Christian family can look like so that later, you know that every one of these children in foster care are going to grow up and do something. We pray. So they grow up and they start to have kids of their own and they think, I don't want to be like that example that I got that was bad. I want to be like the foster family that I was in when we used to go to Gospel Light Baptist Church. That's the kind of love that I want to give to my kids. And now they've got a mental picture of what that can look like. And that's a way that you're redeeming future generations when you do foster care. Not just this one, but future generations. That could be so, so incredible to partner with God in that way. So foster care ministry is about redemption all the way around whether it's redeeming a child that needs to be adopted or redeeming a foster child that might be going home or or redeeming a child in a way that you can show him what that's going to look like down the road. Can I just tell you this one statistic before I wrap up? I didn't share this in first service, but I learned this this last week. And this has kept me, not this last week, it's been a little while, but this has kept me up at night. Like it keeps me tossing and turning. Did you know that the private prison system in the United States looks at the number of foster children that are five years and younger that are in the foster care system right now as one of the metrics that they use to gauge how many beds they're going to need in prison 20 years from now? That's, that's, that's the truth. They look at that as one of the ways that they can determine and predict how many beds they're going to need. That's so wrong. It's so wrong that that, that, that system is, is profiting off of Children that are, that are vulnerable and marginalized and broken. And that's one way that we can redeem those children so that down the road, they don't become one of those statistics, but they become a statistic for good. Here's the ask and what I'd like for you to consider. Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, um, right over here in the, in, the, in the choir room, we're going to be hosting an encounter meeting where you're going to have the chance to hear the whole presentation of what this looks like specifics that we don't have time to get into here this morning. You're also going to see, um, you're going to have a chance to ask questions, and you're going to have a chance to hear a little bit about what fostering through compact could look like and how that would be different than fostering through the state of Arkansas. Um, Same kids. Uh, Just to be clear, we're not trying to necessarily place kids from our campus, although we can. 
place kids from our campus. But there are a lot of kids out there that are in much, much worse places today that desperately need a family. And we can show you tomorrow night in this meeting how, to place, how, how that would look, fostering through us. But my invitation is not just for those that might be considering fostering. You understand that? There are some of you here today that you're thinking, you know, we've talked about fostering before and maybe this is the right time. I certainly want you to come to the meeting tomorrow night. But there are others in the room that might be saying, I'd love to foster, but I, it's, it's, right now is not the right time. It's not for me. Fostering is not for everybody. It's not. But maybe you're thinking, I could provide some sort of supportive services. I've got something that I could do, something in my hands that I could extend to help a brother or sister in my church family that steps up to foster. I don't want them to go it alone. I can help them in some way. Maybe I can be a babysitter and just watch a kid for a couple of hours while they go out to eat once a month, have a date night, um, all sorts of different ways that you can get involved. And, and if that's in your heart, I want you to come to the meeting too. Please consider doing that. After the service this morning, I'll be in the atrium over here along with uh, Marsha and maybe John, and we'll be uh, available to answer any questions that you have. And uh, certainly, if you're not able to be at the meeting tomorrow, we'd love to get your information so we can follow up with you later. God bless you, Pastor. Thanks for allowing me to come and share today. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Lance. While our worship team is kind of making their way up, I want to just take a moment while you're looking at me and say, you know, what we just experienced, church, is, is very powerful and very important for each one of us. Because I think sometimes we, we end up spending our entire lives just sitting in church and never engaging in real Christian living and pure religion. Yesterday, as I do every Saturday that I'm in town, I go to a nursing home. And I do it with Sonia, usually Cindy Kaufman. And I brought my daughter with me yesterday, Chloe, and we ministered. Honestly, there's about 30 people there. I'd say 25 of them were, were widows. And we sang and preached and we testified and we gave a chance for these widows to say what they're thankful for. Do you know what every single one of them think? Chloe will tell you. Chloe was there. She goes, Dad, I couldn't believe it. They just all began to weep. Every one of these ladies, I'm just thankful for you. And I'm standing there, whoa. I'm just glad you come by here every week and love on us and care for us. And we're just thankful that you take the time. And I'm like, wow. Wow. I'm wondering what, honestly, I don't mean this. I really don't mean, I promise you, I'm, I'm loving you when I say this. What are we doing with our lives? What are we doing? What are we doing? We're Christians. We're Christ followers. God has called us to pure religion. It's three things. It's that. It's the nursing homes and the widows. And it's, it's keeping our lives as unspotted and unpolluted from this world as possible. We do those three things well. And the judgment seat's going to be phenomenal. I just simply say, look, look at this little thing. Can you put yourself in one of those boxes? One, just one box. Not the foster family box. No problem. I understand. That's a big one. That's a big one. Somebody's going to put themselves in that box, and I'm grateful. But what about food, projects, tutor, mentor, driver, sitter, respite, friend, family advocate, lead? What's one of those boxes? That's tomorrow night, or that's the atrium after the service. A quick connection because you can't be there tomorrow night. 
And here's my passion. The service is over in five minutes. I mean, we're walking out the doors and getting in our cars and feeding our bellies and taking a nap and hopefully coming back tonight. Life goes on. Work tomorrow morning. Get out of bed. Take a shower. Brush your teeth. I know that. I know that's reality. But is there any way tonight, today, that you and I, before we close this series, is there any way that we could get connected to what it means to really be a Christ follower and get involved in pure religion? Let's not let this sermon series end today. We've got to make a difference. Church, things he said were startling. They were killers. It was like putting a dagger in my... I mean, are you serious? Kids are getting yanked out of schools and no place to go and sleeping on couches and sleeping in communal communities of rooms of bunk beds and for, for maybe a... I mean, this is insane. And we're sitting here and, and just going to hear a sermon and not do anything? So I'm just saying, look... Let's just pray. What does God want us to do? What does God want us to do? And then maybe you're here today and you would say, well, listen, I, I'm glad I get in on this. But, man, what I need is that song Jordan is leading. I need my name written down in a book with the blood of Jesus. I, I've never been saved and I, I don't know Christ. And this is incredible. And I, I, I want to be loved by God. If he loves me that much, then I need to know more about then you need to come. Trust me, we've got an answer for you. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you. He loves you. He wants to save you today. And that's what this song is all about. You see, I've been adopted. I was an orphan. And Jesus saved me and put me into a family. And you're my brother and you're my sister. This is a huge thing. And it needs to be that way for every foster kid in this community. Same thing. Just like God loved us. Amen. Let's pray respond. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for today. Lord, this has been amazing. God, I cannot sit idly by and get on the other side of the ditch and let these kids just stay in in their condition. God, I want to make a difference. I don't know what that looks like, but I know it's something. It's something, God. It's got to be something for Erica Pacey. What does it look like? God, teach me, show me, open my eyes to pure religion. God, help me to be more than a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. Forget that. That's not what it's about. It's not about a denomination. Yes, it's okay to be a Baptist, but but what about being a Christian? A Christian. A Christ follower. Someone who has compassion. Oh, Father, get our attention this morning. Reach down and touch us and move us. Please, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?